There's a point to be made. Caravaggio was a great 17th century Italian artist. And like Italian century artists and great artists in general, they put a little bit of something of themselves into their work. It's not simply a beautiful picture that they take and they just replicate it. It means something to them. They think about it. There's a reflection. There's a part of them that gets invested. Matthew's the subject of that painting. He's the subject also this morning, too. You don't hear a lot of sermons preached on Matthew. But his book, his testimony of Christ, is part of the Gospels, which is part of the greatest book in the history of mankind. And Matthew's no different than Caravaggio in that sense, that he puts a little bit of himself into the book. There's not a lot said directly about Matthew. But there's little bits, hints of something that applies to today. So what's that about? If you want to open up to Matthew, we're going to focus on Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verse 9 specifically, but we're going to talk a little bit about it first. The book of Matthew was written in the first century by a disciple of Christ. Everybody's heard of Matthew, I guess? Yes? Well, he's the first book that comes out after a long period of silence in, the, in the, the Jewish history. 400 years of silence, actually. And his book is the first one to come out among the Gospels, I believe. Some have argued that it might be Mark, but... And in Matthew's work, he starts a few different... There's a number of interesting things that happen. But for today, I just want to focus a little bit on Matthew himself. Why? Because I believe at the heart of it, the testimony that came out of Matthew, the book of Matthew, is coming from the heart of someone who's extremely thankful for what Christ has done for him. Matthew's story, a little bit about it. Matthew was a tax collector in Rome. He's the son of Alphaeus, it said. He may have been a brother of one of the James in the Bible, who was also known as the son of Alphaeus. And Matthew is a tax collector, he worked for Rome, essentially. Directly under Herod, uh, but for Rome, essentially. Rome had occupied Israel. Israel had lost its nationhood and was subject under Rome. And King Herod had been put in place. Uh, I don't know what the equivalent of today's government would be, but in my mind, I almost think like a mayor or something like that. He had no real power, uh, but he helped serve a function. Sorry, mayors. <laughs> um, and Matthew worked for them. Now, being a tax collector wasn't the greatest thing, actually. In fact, um, Jewish society considered them lowlifes. Actually, I read you a couple somethings here about that. Give you a picture of how people saw Matthew. You ever been in a job that... Uh, is not everybody's favorite. Once or twice. You gotta love technology sometimes. Okay, it's not working for me here, so we're going to move on. So the idea here is that 
Matthew was not at all liked. So what happened is they didn't like Matthew because first of all, the coins he collected, they bore pagan images. No, no in Jewish society. The money, he was given a contract so he could earn a certain amount. They, they gave, the Roman government would hire the lowest paid contractors. So he won the job, like five-year contract based on giving the lowest bid. But they had a concession that after they got this, they could charge kind of what they wanted. So they could add a little extra, a little something, something to fill their pockets with. So Matthew got the job, and he was essentially robbing his countrymen, taking their extra money to fill his pockets, uh, and then giving the due to, to Rome, who was, in Jewish society, sort of the enemy of the people. In Jesus' life before that, there had been a few rebellions and insurrections, the Maccabean revolt and whatnot. Rome wasn't well-liked. The Jews weren't well-liked by Rome. But at this time, there's a relative peace. So Matthew's job was to take their money on his terms and uh, basically forsake his Jewish citizenship to a degree. He was a lowlife. He was the refuse. And what I think happened based on his word, is that Jesus caught his attention. In the book of Matthew, it begins with a genealogy. And shortly after, it begins of some interesting things. Matthew was a Jewish man and well-versed in Jewish history. But the story moves, and we'll touch on that in a second, to where Jesus starts his, his ministry. And he goes out from John the Baptist, repeating, preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And it's a short sermon. That's a really short sermon. But it's getting people's attention. A few miracles happen. And then the Beatitudes. Matthew 5 to 8. Matthew 5 to 8 is a long sermon. And one of the most beautiful sermons that we have record of. But did you ever ask yourself, why is it so detailed? Of all the sermons that Jesus preaches, why is that one so detailed in Matthew? Now, I'm going to go on a limb here because it doesn't say us explicitly, but I think Matthew heard that sermon. I think Matthew was there when Jesus spoke that sermon. And he wasn't a disciple yet. Just before Jesus preached, he said he was on a mountainside, he came down, went to Capernaum. When he came out of Capernaum, that's where he met Matthew. So it was about the same area, approximately, where Matthew would have been. So I think he heard the Sermon on the Mount, and the first thing that he hears in the sermon is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Two parts, right in that sentence, is going to hit Matthew. The poor and the kingdom. Now, Matthew, as a Jewish person, it was about the kingdom of Israel, that what they had lost. They had lost something great. In Roman occupation now, his job was to work for a different type of government. So the political world was very much a reality for his day-to-day life and for his spiritual life. The kingdom and the poor were two things that would impact Matthew right off the top of that. So he lays out the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe at the heart of it, Matthew was conflicted. 
I don't want to spend too much time, we can go throughout Matthew, but there's little points that keep pointing to his thoughts in reflection of who he was, how he saw himself. And we get to Matthew 9, and I want to read Matthew 9, verse 9. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation this morning. This is Jesus calls, the, calls Matthew to follow him. As Jesus left Capernaum, he came upon a tax collecting station where a traitorous Jew was busy at his work collecting taxes for the Romans. His name was Matthew. Now, important to note this just before this. From the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus left and he did a whole bunch of miracles. At the end of these miracles, he's questioned by the Pharisees because he's just healed a paraplegic man. And they say to him, because Jesus said in this, your sins are forgiven. What gives you the right to forgive sins? And Jesus says, well, what's easier to do? He forgives a man's sins, heals his body, heals his broken spirit, heals his broken body, brings life to both. And what's Jesus do after that? A whole bunch more miracles. Emphasizing the fact that if Jesus is who he says he is, he's got the authority and power to do this and to forgive sins. So he forgives this man. Who does he come next to? Matthew. Matthew's next on the list. And he comes to Matthew, who's busy at his work collecting taxes to the Romans in Matthew 9, 9, and says, come, follow me. Jesus said to him, and immediately, Matthew jumped up and began to follow Jesus. Generally, people don't immediately drop everything they're doing in occupation-wise in the middle of their job just out of a curiosity. I think there was something stirring in Matthew at this point. Again, I'm going on a limb. I think he heard this sermon on the mount. I think it registered with his conscience. I think he was already struggling in identity. And when Jesus came to this guy, who he didn't deserve this, he was the refuge. The Jewish society didn't like him. We talked about pursuit. Jesus comes to this guy in the middle of his job doing the thing that he shouldn't be doing. Interrupts him, says, you, come follow me. Jesus came to this guy because he saw Matthew. He wanted Matthew. One of the greatest things in all people, no matter who you are, a commonality among all people is one of the same desires. It's intimacy. We want to be known. We want to be seen. We want to be known. That's the very heart of intimacy. And it's one of the greatest things that every single person alive wants. They want to be known. Jesus knew Matthew as he was and beyond. And he comes to Matthew and he calls Matthew. Matthew gets up and goes. And what's Matthew do? He invites Jesus to his place to have lunch, dinner, Middle East sign of friendship. And what happens? Later, when Jesus went to Matthew's house and made himself at home, many other tax collectors and outcasts of society were invited to eat with Jesus and his disciples. It's Matthew's home. The invitation's coming from Matthew. Matthew's brought others of the same society that's been rejected to come meet Jesus, share in fellowship together. 
When those known as the Pharisees saw what was happening, they were indignant and kept asking Jesus' disciples, why would your master dine with such low lives? Now, this is a passion translation. Some of your translations will see with tax collectors and sinners. Matthew's part of the group that's being denigrated by the Pharisees at the moment. He's a guy you're not supposed to hang around with. And Jesus has come to him, asked him to be his disciple, and is now having fellowship and friendship with him in his home. I miss a group of people that you just don't do that with. Jesus overheard this. He spoke up and said, healthy people don't need to see a doctor, but the sick will go for treatment. Then he added, now you should go and stay the meaning of that verse. So Jesus stands up and defends Matthew, defends his time with Matthew. Right after that, for I've come to invite the outcasts of society and sinners, not those who think they're already on the right path. Right after that, the disciples of John the baptizer approached Jesus with this question. Why is it that we and the Pharisees fast regularly, but not your disciples? Jesus replied, how can the sons of the bridal chamber grieve when the bridegroom is next to them? So two groups of people approach Jesus right away. The Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist. Now, Matthew admires John the Baptist. When you read his writings, you're going to notice he admires John, and he admires the disciples that came before him, which was uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John. And he talks the most about those disciples than any of the others in his Gospels in detail. He admires them. He honors them. They were there before he was. And he makes note of their lives. When Matthew talks about himself, it's usually in the other disciples. He's not named. The next time he's named, which is interesting, because right in this section, when Jesus has called them out of his old life and he's had to leave, there was a cost. He can't just go back to that job when he's quit it. He's given up a way of life. He's already kind of an outcast. He doesn't know what he's stepping into, but he's walking away to be with Christ. And Christ gives him a new identity there and then. As a disciple, as a friend of the bridegroom, he calls him and gives him something completely different. You know Matthew next mentions himself? In a few chapters from here. Jesus will go and they'll do some more miracles and it will end with Jesus telling the disciples about the harvest that's needed. That there's a great harvest. And it says Jesus sends 12 disciples and gives them authority to go out and do miracles. In that list is Matthew's name. This is Matthew's book. When he testifies of himself, it's in negative terms, but he'll note that he went from this tax collector, the sinner, the reprobate, to now representing, instead of Rome and the, the false authority, to representing Christ and proclaiming his kingdom in authority of Christ, in power to do miracles. And then Matthew doesn't mention himself by name. It's always disciples or the disciples or others, except he'll mention Peter and John and James and Andrew. Now, if that sounds like a lot of teaching and a lot of art history and all that kind of thing, there's a point here. In Matthew's book, it's so easy to miss. There's a grateful person here that Christ saw him, that Christ stepped into his life, it took someone that had been rejected, accepted him as, his, as one of his own, gave him a new identity, gave him th- authority, gave him power, gave him a calling, gave him a new purpose, 
gave him a family. In the same chapter, when people come to Christ and say, hey, your mother and brothers are, are waiting for you, they're concerned for you, he says, this is my family. And Matthew's in that group that he's saying, this is my family. And in reflection, years later, when Matthew composes his book, in Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, how does he identify Christ? Jesus, the anointed one, the son of David, the descendant of Abraham. Now that's our English. But part of the identification that he's saying, Yahweh is salvation. The Messiah. The heir of the promises of Abraham. Being in the lineage of Abraham. All of this is the very person that came to me and called me to join him. Though I had stolen from my countrymen, though I was an outcast, though I was rejected. You imagine what that first meeting with the other disciples would have been like? Well, yeah, I, I took your money last week. Sorry about that. <laughs> right? Like, that would have been an awkward conversation. If you think about it, even the, the secondary miracle, we, it was Matthew's call away from his job, the guy that's next in line to pay his taxes. <laughs> it's like, awesome. <laughs> um, Matthew's life was changed. So much so. This guy went from a place of conflict, and again, to give subtle hints of this conflict, as I said, he was working for Herod. When you read Herod in the beginning, how, do, how is he first mentioned? It's in relation to Jesus' birth. You know what's interesting about that? I've missed this. You guys, I'm sure, have caught this. I missed this until very recently. So the Magi come to give word of Christ's birth. They say, the king of the Jews has been born. We want to go and worship him. They tell Herod. Herod's alarmed. Wow, uh-oh. Goes and consults his wise men. But this is what gets me. When he goes to the wise men, he doesn't bring up the king has been born. He said the Messiah has been born. Where is the Messiah to be born? And then he sets out to kill him. He's not just setting out to kill the king. He's setting out to kill the Messiah, according to Herod's own words. And that was a guy that Matthew was working for. It's a hint of conflict in the story. So when Jesus comes, he, Jesus brings redemption to Matthew. Salvation to Matthew. And Matthew, out of gratitude, follows. Now, the rest of the story in Matthew, you're going to see miracles. You're going to see moments of teaching. And with the disciples, you're going to see some awkward moments. <laughs> moments of trying, moments of learning, moments of failing, moments of rebuke, moments of fear. And Matthew's a humble guy because in his story, aside from those two areas, he doesn't really talk about himself. So it's all inferred. At the end of the story, in Matthew 28, as Jesus appears after the resurrection, it says, along the way, Jesus suddenly appeared in front of them, referring to the disciples. Rejoice. They were so overwhelmed by seeing him that they bowed down and grasped his feet, adoring. Sorry, I'm going to back up a second here. We're going to start, this is Matthew 28, verse 8. So they, 
They've got news that Jesus has been resurrected. They rush quickly to tell his disciples, Matthew 8, 28 verse 8, and their hearts were deep in wonder and filled with great joy. I don't know about you, but I can't generally speak for other people's hearts. Matthew's story is about right here, his own heart. His heart, their hearts were deep in wonder and filled with great joy. Along the way, Jesus suddenly appeared in front of them and said, Rejoice. They were so overwhelmed by seeing him that they bowed down and grasped his feet in adoring worship. Matthew is one of these people that has done this. Then Jesus said to them, Throw off all your fears. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will find me there. Ends with the Great Commission. Then Jesus came close to them and said, All the authority of the universe is given to me. Now, this is a Passion Translation. Yours will be slightly different. Now, wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I've commanded you, and never forget that I'm with you every day, even to the completion of this age. And this is what Jesus gave Matthew to distribute. And Matthew then spent the rest of his life doing that. He wrote this book that we read, we take for granted all the time, at least I do, I'm speaking for you, but missing that someone's life was so much changed and he had such a gratitude that he wrote his testimony of Christ. Usually now today when people do like a testimony of their experience, it's sort of like a selfie with me and him. This isn't a selfie of Matthew and Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Matthew is in, at the most, the background. This story from Matthew is all about Christ. It's not about what Jesus did for me. It's what Jesus did for everybody. He wrote this to a Jewish audience, but you know what he does? He focuses on it being about more than the Jews. He brings Gentiles. In the genealogy, he lists four Gentile women as part of their lineage. The stories of Jesus' miracles are repeatedly for other people outside the Jewish community and in the Jewish community as well. Matthew included himself because that impacted Matthew. Matthew himself was outside the Jewish community even though he was Jewish. And it stuck out from what Jesus has done. And he was grateful and he shared it. And because he shared what Christ had done for him, a couple thousand years later, we're reading about it. Billions of people. Because some lowly outcast was so grateful he decided to write down what Jesus had done for him. What has Jesus done for you? What are the things that Christ has done for you? Has it impacted you? Matthew didn't write a book talking about Matthew. Look what I did. Look what Christ did for me directly. It was just simply Christ. Let Matthew fade in the background. Let Matthew fade in the shadows. Look what Jesus Christ has done. What has Christ done for you? Lots. <laughs> Lots. Every single day, there is something new, many things new that Christ has done for you and is doing for you now. Matthew's story is a moment of time in Matthew's life. Matthew's whole life, and it's still going, by the way, he's got eternal life with Christ. It ended on this earth. It ended in martyrdom, it said, according to legend. 
He was, he, according to legend, he died uh, while giving mass at an altar in, in Ethiopia, apparently. He was killed by a king because uh, I think it was something to do with a, an incestuous relationship with a niece or something, and the king didn't like that. The woman was apparently a nun or something. So Matthew was killed. But from tax collectors serving a certain kingdom, if that legend is true, or if it's not, the idea of serving a completely different kingdom, a kingdom of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah, Christ the anointed one, who he proclaimed. From collecting taxes to collecting souls, a fisher of men, from a place of dishonor to a place of honor, St. Matthew. Why? Because he got up from a table to follow Christ. That simple act of obedience changed everything for him. Everything. And not only for him, for countless other people as well. Because Matthew's story, his testimony of Christ, not his personal story, but the testimony of Christ that he's given, which includes the story, has infected billions of people. I'm preaching to you today from that book because he got up from a table to follow Christ. No act of obedience however small, when it comes to crisis without impact. No act of obedience. Anything you do that Christ has asked you to do will bear fruit. So today as we, it was a short sermon. Some are like, no, it felt long, it felt long. The art history killed me. Um, we're going to come to a close, but I want to take a moment this morning to open up the mic. If you've got a testimony, if you've got something to share that you're grateful for, come forward, share it. It doesn't have to be something material. It can be something completely immaterial. Whatever it is, share your testimony. If you've got it, I hope you've been thinking about it. Mic's open. Matthew. just want to share a little bit uh, something I'm just extremely grateful for um, due to like a lot of life stuff happening this last year I was kind of like really not doing so well spiritually because I was just like really stressed out and had a lot of stuff on my plate in pain a lot of the time with my injury um, but just like in the last like four weeks God has surrounded me with some amazing people some people that are holding me up and holding me accountable and uh, for the last few weeks, I've been like daily spending time in the word. I get up before my kids get up now, like every day, 5.30, 6 o'clock. I spend an hour with the Lord every single day, even on what would normally be a day off Sunday. Um, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because I'm so thankful for that time. Uh, I can honestly say that it has completely changed my life in a matter of a couple weeks. My life is flipped upside down. My mind is renewed. My spirit is renewed. I'm not hiding behind a phone anymore. I'm not hiding in my house anymore. I, everywhere I go, I'm talking to people. I'm getting to know people. I'm putting my phone away instead of 
you know, hiding behind it in a Starbucks line, and I'm talking to the person in front of me. I'm talking to the barista. Why? Because I have the light of Christ in me, and I can share that with other people. So I'm just thankful for that. I feel like myself again for the first time in a couple years, to be very honest. You know, kids and everything just like totally just changed my world, and I just honestly dealt with it in all the wrong ways. And like, uh, honestly, I went to food a lot. And like God has just been so faithful, even down to my eating habits. I've completely changed them in the last uh, few weeks, and I've lost 20 pounds in three weeks. Like, and that's that's not me, because I honestly I am so weak. I will eat half an apple pie to myself in one night. No joke. That's serious. <laughs> but God has given me a renewed mind, a renewed strength, and I'm ready to run forward, run this race, all for the kingdom, all for His glory. And if I give you any encouragement here today, if you're struggling in any way, if you're having any issues of any kind, I don't care if you have to get up at 5 a.m. for work, get up 10, 15 minutes earlier. Spend some time in his word. Just read a psalm. Just read a proverb. Praise him and thank him. If you're going through the valley, praise him and thank him anyways, because the valley doesn't last forever. Just want to bless you all and just happy Thanksgiving to you all. I love you guys, all of you. That's awesome. Awesome. Anyone else? Anyone else got a testimony? Or something you're thankful for? Something you want to share? Mr. Hepner. I was just going to say, I've, I had prayer here just recently, about two weeks ago or so. Uh, my doctor called me and he says, my, sometime my kidneys had dropped down to 37 from 65. Uh, so he says, uh, so he did some t more tests, you know, and I, went, I came for prayer here just a while back. And the other day he called me in again, and I, he says, your kidneys have jumped up to 58, he says, from, from, uh, from 37, he says. He said, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've got a doctor, he's from, from Egypt, you know, he's, a, he's Greek Orthodox. I do share with him once in a while a little bit. He calls me a friend already. <laughs> so, no, yeah, so that's really a miracle. For 50, 60 to 65 is normal. So he says, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up there. So. Thank you. Awesome. All right, I'm not walking away quite yet until there's a couple more people because there's a lot to be grateful for. I am grateful and blessed for our pastors Amen. and for my church family. Amen. The pastors, because when you have something you want to talk to, but not to anybody else, but to them, they will help you to get through this. I am grateful and blessed for my family. They are so, all so special to me. And I am so grateful that God has blessed me in so, so many ways this year by helping me in my finances. He has helped me to get myself a better car, a safer car. He has helped me to get more peace in my mind and in my heart. I have, I'm, I'm just blessed so much by God and by Jesus for, for everybody, all of you that I can come on Sundays and greet you all, and, and that I bless them all. And I, all, and I always say to God, 
when I bless them, let it not be in my honor, but in your honor. So when I bless you all, it is in God's honor, and I bless you. That's Thank you, Carter. All right, anybody else? Shani. I'm thankful to my grandma for this past few weeks since my mom and dad have been gone to Japan because without her, Jean wouldn't have somewhere to go for the day while I'm at work. And I'm just so thankful for you, Grandma. Especially for the one week where I had to go to work early, Jean got to sleep over at your house. And she comes home with tails and everything these days, so I'm just so thankful for that. And for the rest of my family, because they take so much good care of Jean when we're working, so thank you. Awesome. Okay. Oh, yes. Awesome. I'm really, really thankful for God's care for his people. And I had, um, I was parking in a, I was backing up into a parking spot and a car came down. Instead of slowing down, he stepped on the gas. I'm sure that's what it was. And he just totally knocked. Well, he totaled my car, and I was not hurt. I had a little bruise on my knee that I must have hit the steering wheel or something. But, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even damage another vehicle that I would have damaged if, I, if God hadn't given me the presence of mind, or I don't think it was presence of mind. I think it was just instinct. God just put my foot on the brake so hard that I didn't... I didn't even touch two vehicles that I was really close to. And he just knocked me. I didn't even, it didn't even drive. He just pushed me, like bumped me into a position that I, I mean, I, I just looked at the situation. I said, Lord, thank you. You were in control. It wasn't me. My car's gone, and I'm really, really disappointed about that. But God has a plan. But he saved me, and he didn't cause any more damage, and nobody was hurt. I was just so thankful. God is so good. Thank you for sharing that. One thing I'm going to say I'm thankful for, too, and I know Pastor Dave will agree with this, is I want to thank, again, the people that serve the church. Every Sunday, uh, we appreciate everything that you all do for us um, as, as a body. I think we can all agree to that. Um, ushers. I know you guys sometimes have to interrupt what you're doing with your families to come and serve us, uh, whether it's for communion or offering or whatever it is. Thank you, guys. Betty Kish, I'm going to call you grandma because you are my grandma. Uh, I want to thank you that every Sunday that we have communion, you go and you spend your time and resources to set that up for us, even though sometimes it, you have to interrupt your worship service to do that, your time worshiping. I know how important that is to you. Yeah, 30 years or so. She is faithfully, when we, when we have those little communion cups, little bread, she's got a big hand in that. Right? And Father, thank you for you. Thank you for this day. 
that we can take this time to be thankful, that we can reflect on all your goodness to us, Lord God, both in our past, in our present, and for our future. Thank you, Lord God, for this day, the opportunities you've given us, even in this weekend time that many of us get to spend with family or loved ones and enjoy your provision, Lord God. And Lord God, for those that can't, to be reminded that they have a family of God that is with them, that we are loved by you, that we are blessed by you, that we are given a new identity, a new home, a new family, a new life. You are our Father, you are our God, you are our Savior, you are our friend, you are our advocate, you are our judge, you are our healer. Lord God, you are God. And we bless you and we thank you for you. And we thank you that we could be together today. Bless us as we go forward. Give us hearts of thankfulness and gratefulness. Help us to share our testimonies and our story, Lord God. Give us courage and faith to respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction and take those acts of obedience, however small they even seem. Because everything done, Lord God, according to your will, has amazing impact. We bless you and we thank you for who you are and for who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.